Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Welcome, listeners, to your Friday episode. An episode finale, actually, for Stone in the Stream. A tale of reality bending and world devouring. Written by Fee Stringer. I want to also take the time to thank my return amazing supporter, Solstra, at a white tea warlord tier and almost at an old knight tea tier as well. Mate, I am so, so thankful for your support. And you're joining at a time where I'm completing a finale, no less, makes this episode even more special. Again, Solstra, thank you immensely for your support. I put your support into action straight away with a brand new sound pack. You'll hear it in action in this episode. Folks, buckle up, because this episode is a ride, and we'll learn the fate of Zoe and Dr. Roach, and their new companions Cora and Compston. This episode is not for little ears, so please put them to bed or listen on headphones. Enjoy, you lovelies. And a big thank you to Fee Stringer for sending this story my way. Chapter 24 The Writing on the Wall Comston had noticed a change in their mood upon looking at the shape in the center, but decided to bring it up again later as both Zoe and Jason looked uncomfortable. Comston clearly respected people's need for secrets, or at least their need to disclose things on their own timetable, as was evident with the caution he had employed in regarding the vault. Jason and Zoe agreed that they would hold off on the stone for the moment. When dealing with this many variables, caution was the course they decided would be best. They instead decided to focus on the writing to start with, to see if it might reveal any details as to what the stone was for and how it related to the shape, as well as the obvious task of finding out the nature of the writing. They decided to start in the area around the shape, assuming that whatever had done the writing would have chosen a place in the roughly 16-foot circle around the sculpture, where there was no writing as a place to begin. They had used their binoculars and flood lamp to check and see if there was another shape on the apex of the sphere, but the upper pole appeared to just have the writing that spiraled into a non-distinctive point. It was, of course exceedingly difficult to confirm this, however, without being able to actually reach the top. The university that Compton worked for was delivering more supplies they was picking up from the ranger station that day. Another generator, food, water, and better lighting were all items that could be obtained without raising suspicion. They used the time that he was gone to examine the break in the wall, confirming that the initial break in the wall had occurred from the inside out, suggesting something had left the vault, and then the hole had become bigger over time due to natural processes, and finally was exposed when the dig had reached it. After Compson had returned, they rested and began the work on the writing. Jason had remembered to take some of his computer equipment that helped him translate things faster. Zoe was better at quickly operating the software on his laptop, however, making the two of them working together a very efficient pair. As much of an expert as Jason was, he still could not simply translate it cold. He still needed some help. The first impression that they received from the glyphs by the form was that it was some type of creation myth, 
most of the terms being related to primordial dust and spheres, with curious passages about something before the world or worlds formed. It suggested that there had been countless worlds that had been lost. It looks like the people that made this believed in the multiverse theory of things, Jason said. They decided to set up intervals of study throughout the vault. They found that the writing was chronologically ordered. The years, of course, were harder to interpret, but there was a progression of time that was unmistakable. It was a pattern in a spiral, from the center outward, away from the lower pole. The most frustrating thing for Jason was that, although he could find a pattern in time, almost all the information itself was still too difficult to interpret. Jason was undoubtedly the world's foremost expert in this form of ancient linguistics, and both Cora and Comston were very impressed with what he was finding. But Jason was not. He could tell that time was being recorded, in other words, but not how much from location to location. Zoe tried her best to keep him calm and collected, which he clearly appreciated, but she was having her own experiences that were putting her ill at ease as well. Given the nature of events leading up to the exploration of the vault, Zoe would have been surprised if something did not feel strange upon entering it. The strangeness, however, was not in a form that she had anticipated, in that inside the vault, it was the most quiet in her mind that she had ever felt in her life. It was as if all of the mental noises that usually plagued her moments of existence were suddenly gone. At first, she had not noticed as her excitement of the discovery had masked this feeling. But as the second day came to a close, there was no mistaking it. Her mental illnesses were gone when she was inside, and they emerged again slowly when they exited. At one point, while Jason was busy collecting more information from the glyphs, she managed a nap of about 45 minutes, and the sleep she got within the vault was incredible in the sense of how black and dreamless it was. Upon waking, she knew that she had never felt this thoroughly rested. There were no secrets from Jason, of course, and he listened intently when she reported this fact, commenting that Comston might want to bring a neuroscientist in next, but he had no theories of his own as to why the vault might be influencing her in this way. Jason's time increment issue got some improvement a few days later when he located in the vast library of glyphs an event he was able to translate into a known event in geological history. He was at one of his last increments of study nearing the breach in the globe. Both Zoe and Jason were crunching through the information when Zoe showed him one of the translations that she recognized. He looked at the area around the translation, and Zoe heard him do an audible intake of breath. <gasps> Zoe, I need you to go back to location D18 and take a few more pictures of the writing immediately around it, please. Zoe had heard this excitement in his voice before, and she gave him a quick kiss on the cheek before taking her equipment down to one of their earlier points of study. On the way down, she saw Cora watching them both from the entrance. She waved at them with a smile, but Zoe felt one of her old familiar stabs of paranoia when she looked at Cora. It felt like the effect of staving off her mental noise was weakened when her eyes met Cora's, and the feeling passed when Cora walked back into the connecting cavern and out of sight. 
She decided to talk to Jason about this later. I think I might have figured out what the vault is for, or at least what it is supposed to be for, said Jason, but the confidence was lacking in his voice. Compton looked over to Cora and then back to Jason. Out with it, man! He drank a swig of his coffee and continued. Well, do you understand this? I have to tell you how I found out. You see, I found an event listed about a quarter of the way up from the center sculpture. It makes reference to a sphere joining ours with great violence and death to a civilization that was here at the time. And then later here, about 40 feet from the equator. They talk about when the good air arrived followed by an abundance of life being created right afterwards. Comston interjected, Like the oxygen event, he said with a smile. The what? asked Zoe. Comston answered before Jason could answer. Well, I'm not a geologist and neither is Dr. Roach, but having our background about 2.5 billion years ago, a little more than half the age of the Earth, a whole shitload of life arrived before a lot of oxygen formed, due to the life at the time developing photosynthesis en masse. Cora's cool demeanor then was confused for a moment. Wait, are you saying that the writing in there is talking about things that happened 2.5 billion years ago? Jason looked at her, and there was a moment when nothing but the sound of the crackling fire was heard. Well, actually, it goes back further. I think the sphere and the violence was in reference to the very early Earth colliding with what was the moon, about 4.3 billion years ago. But it's not accurate at all. I mean, it's not literal or factual. What do you mean, Jason? asked Zoe. He looked down. Well, I guess it's not that bad, really. I mean... I suppose we've found the largest mythological story ever. He cleared his throat and continued. <clears throat> you see, all of this speaks of people and lands, and civilizations that formed before the oxygen was here, and even a few that were billions of years old before the moon was even here. So almost all of it, despite the few actual events, is fiction. I suspect that if we looked... The dinosaurs would be somewhere after the equator, no doubt with cities and magic themselves. Hmm, was what Comston's response was at first. But that means that somebody still wrote this, who knew everything about? Yes, said Jason. But according to this legend, the Earth would be something like ten times older than it actually is, making the whole universe older then has been measured by a long shot. I mean, there are accounts of cities, oceans, wars, and beings that simply have never existed with no trace of them whatsoever in the... His sentence stopped dead. When he made eye contact with Zoe, her eyes conveyed all the information he needed to figure out that this history calendar that was the vault was in all likelihood a map of what reality truly had been before being eaten by the cosmic force, threatening them. The silence was broken by a small tremor. It's okay, said Comston. We have been getting these little shakes here and there, about once a week now. Some are bigger than others, part of being close to a fault line. <laughs>
Zoe saw the familiar look of inspiration on Jason's face as he stood up. I need to go back to the vault for a moment and check something. He said, Zoe, can you come with? Sure, said Zoe, standing as well. Compton looked at them and said, I was hoping that at this point you might be able to tell us a bit more of what you might know from your side of things, if that's okay. But it can wait till you return. Of course, said Jason. Cora made eye contact with Zoe and nodded to her politely. Zoe could tell something was wrong, but the look was too abstract to guess at what it was. I was right, said Jason quietly, after taking a few measurements. Not that I am surprised, Jason, but right about what? Zoe said with a tad of flirtation in her voice. That got the desired smile from Jason as he answered. The vault is growing. Just very, very slowly, but it is growing. Zoe understood then. The tremors, yes. And this means that it is not only a record of what has happened, that means it is still recording. Chapter 25. Things Get Tense Zoe had no reason to trust either of their archaeological hosts. Jason did tell them that the vault was still writing, probably at the upper pole, and both of them were appropriately blown away. But Zoe had expressed the unease she'd been feeling around Cora, and Jason did take it seriously. They both decided not to mention the stone, but to give them some information about Zoe's writings and some of the fluctuations in memory. They in turn admitted that there had been strange sensations and events since the dig began, that they could not define other than a general unease and occasional loss of memory. Jason was not sleeping well, and he wanted to get a good look at the ceiling of the vault, but it looked like it was impossible with the resources they had available. Both Jason and Zoe knew that the Devourer was watching them. Zoe knew that the Devourer did not think in a conscious way, that it was like a liquid that surrounded something and then would soak into it, find its porous areas and dissolve the weak spots. And now the area around the vault was saturated in the Devourer's vacuous energy. Cora was most likely the window it was using to try and find a weakness, and Jason agreed that she needed to be watched with care. It was also abundantly clear that the time for putting the stone back in its place in the sculpture was quickly approaching. Information was lacking, but with the detection of the Devourer, they were running out of time. But what both Zoe and Jason also knew was that they had no idea what would happen when it was placed. What if nothing happened? What if something so strange happened that it was beyond prediction? Jason had hoped at some point to stumble across information that would have provided some idea of what to expect or even what the sculpture was for. A control panel of some sort? A weapon? It was frustrating to not know the answer to such an important question. The increments that calendar recorded varied. Sometimes individual days and events were recorded, sometimes years, decades, and centuries passed in the writing without note. The more Jason read, however, the more he understood. From what he could theorize, the vault was recording things of note to whichever race had created it, and what they thought was important. The difficulty was in determining what they may have elected to record and what they did not. There was almost no pattern. Some of the recordings were things that would have been expected. Large droughts, shifts in tectonic plates, 
and other significant natural phenomena, sometimes going into additional detail about the effects it may have had on life and populations of the time. Other times, however, it was things that made little sense, like the way a particular inhabitant saw the sunlight reflecting on crystals in one of the forgotten cities, or if there was a small migration of the small insects into a particular hive in a certain year. Discovering the priorities, what was and what was not recorded, was a puzzle. Some of the data was purely scientific in nature, some emotional. By chance, Zoe had found a passage or two that Jason later confirmed to be about pyramid architecture life forms, with the spherical ocular organs that Zoe had seen several times. It appeared that they went in and out of dormancy, re-emerging about once every 200,000 years or so, sometimes living in peace with whatever else might have inhabited the planet, sometimes going to war, but almost always rebuilding before eons of hibernation. This pattern continued for several geological eras. What Jason was looking for now was any clue as to what constructed the vault, but there was far too much information to go over for only Zoe and himself and the other two people there had been staying outside the vault. Comston was making another supply run with Cora, and this one would take a day or two. Zoe was happy to have Cora out of her presence, even if it was only temporary. More information had gathered, and another tremor was felt just before Compton and Cora came back. It was about 5pm when they returned to the site, and cold winter air was the companion they brought with them. The cave became the only place where they could successfully get away from the oppressive conditions in the mountains. Compton was talking about how he was ready now to bring in the appropriate officials to take over the dig. He reasoned that they now had enough information so that they could successfully get out what was really found, and that it could not be easily hidden from the world anymore. Part of his errands while getting supplies was to inform several colleagues of his finds via email, so that it would not be covered up. I thank you both for your help here. It has revealed more than I could ever dreamed, but I have arranged transportation for you to leave. He spoke while preparing soup for the party. Zoe looked at Jason. They knew that the stone would need to be used tonight. Cora licked her lips. Chapter 26 Did we think it would be easy? Jason and Zoe crept through the passageway towards the vault, trying not to wake Compton or Cora. They kept the conversation to a minimum. Zoe knew that it was not working from the moment they left the other two sleeping, for she felt the hunger following her like a cloud of locusts. Zoe, Zoe, Jason whispered when they were a relatively safe distance from where the others were sleeping. Yeah, she whispered back. We really don't have much of a plan, do we? I mean, what happens when it's or they try to stop us or get us? Zoe stopped and sat for a moment. Well... I was hoping that either the stone or the vault might answer that for us, or at least protect us, but it seems to not like either very much. Jason swallowed. There are a lot of variables involved with that. We are assuming a lot. Zoe smiled. We don't have much of a choice, do we? She turned to began walking again. Jason put his hand on her shoulder. Wait, one more thing. He looked nervous. Zoe faced him. When you do this thing with the stone, do you think I should be inside or outside of the vault? He whispered. She saw the fear in his face 
and decided the best answer was to kiss him first, which appeared to have the desired effect of making him relax some. Jason, I really don't know, and neither does anyone, and therefore probably doesn't make much of a difference. Seeing his tension return, she then added, So why worry? When they were about 50 feet away, from the entrance to the vault, as was predicted, they started to hear footsteps from behind. Jason looked at Zoe with raised eyebrows. She pointed forward, indicating that they should hurry into the vault. They were no longer trying to be quiet now, as they made their way through the last length of cave, reaching the entrance to slide down into the vault. They both turned around to watch the entrance. A few moments passed until they saw Cora poke her head out, finding their flashlight beams. Zoe! Dr. Roach! She yelled down to them. Yeah? Answered Zoe quickly. What are you doing down there? It's like 2am. I thought someone had snuck past us or something. I I just wanted to test something. No no need to wake you two up as it's probably bullshit. Said Jason, his delivery so weak that it was making it even more clear that he was most likely one of the worst liars in the world. She shook her head. Look, I don't know what. She stopped mid-sentence, all of a sudden looking very tired. She yawned and then tried to continue, only to be stopped again by another yawn and then another. Zoe and Jason exchanged a look and then looked back up at Cora, even from the distance they were apart. From there they could see that there was something wrong. She yawned again and then there was a whimper of pain. Cora? Jason called out. She was struggling to climb down, trying to scream as her mouth was still yawning and causing pain. Zoe watched nervously as she approached, putting her hand on Jason's arm to suggest extreme caution. Jason! She whispered. Jason looked at Zoe, and then he moved towards Cora to help. Reluctantly, Zoe followed. Cora had tears in her eyes and was trying to scream but could not. Zoe arrived in time to hear the cracking noise of Cora's jaw dislocating itself, and her screams became louder. Jason caught her as she started to topple over, the fear in her eyes now acute. Zoe knew that whatever was happening now was only going to get worse, and not just for Cora, but for everyone. Jason, trying to think quickly, was trying to force Cora's mouth closed, not to solve the problem, but to at least try and relieve the pain. Her whole body convulsed due to the pain, throwing Jason off his feet, and Cora's eyes rolled back in her head. There was now skin tearing around the corners of her mouth, and Jason stopped trying to help. Zoe! Jason exclaimed. What are we supposed to do? What is happening to her? Zoe was about to answer when something even more unexpected happened, adding to the already insane scene. Compton must have entered the vault unnoticed due to the chaos of Cora's horror. He leapt upon Cora's convulsing body with a motion that larger men should not be capable of. Jason thought for a moment that he was trying to hold her down in the interest of stopping the convulsions, but instead, Compton began to reach his hand into Cora's mouth, the sound of yawning and screaming now mixed in with the sound of gagging. Zoe started to move forward, but stopped upon seeing the expression on Compton's face. He looked like pure madness and desperation mixed in a perfect new emotion that neither Zoe or Jason had ever seen before. There was drool dripping from Compton's lips. 
and he had forced his hand halfway up to the elbow into Cora's mouth. There was no doubt in either Zoe or Jason's mind that Cora was past saving at this point. Zoe was feeling disgusted and frightened, and for Zoe that translated into palpable anger. She took the metal flashlight in her hand and rushed towards the cacophony. She raised it above her head before Jason could yell her name and brought it shatteringly down on Compton's skull, causing a distinctive sound of metal striking bone. Compton's facial expression changed, but only slightly, and his actions continued unfazed. Zoe took a step back to where Jason had stopped and stared at the place where her flashlight had struck Compton. The wound was not bleeding as it should have, but it was changing and growing. The wound was black on the other side, and it appeared to be caving inward like sand seeping down an hourglass. Compton was slowly imploding into what used to be Cora's mouth. The sound coming out of the door on the floor was unearthly and savage, screams mixed with the sound of various bones and tissues tearing. A myriad of fluid surrounded the professor and his grad student, Compton's arm now up to the shoulder in what still might be loosely considered Cora's mouth. Jason asked in a breathless voice, Zoe, what is happening? His eyes, not leaving the writhing mass, there were now other non-human elements in the display before them. Pools of shadow and tendrils were forming on the floor. The sounds coming from it were no longer simply human agony. It was the first time since this all began that Zoe had seen actual full frontal fear on Jason's face. Zoe, of course, did not know the answer to what he asked, although she felt an answer. I think it found a way in. The Devourer? She said they are sort of conjuring it somehow. I don't know how. They both started to back away. Jason, we have to make it to the center now. Jason looked up at the crack in the vault for a moment. He wanted to just leave and never come back again. Zoe could see it in his face, but he finally nodded in agreement. Zoe could not help but wonder at the regret he might feel about ever meeting her despite how much he cared for her. Because of Zoe, he'd experienced memory loss, terror, and the simple possibility that he may be wiped from existence. She felt remorse for what she'd put him through, but also gratitude that he was with her right now. They ran over the surface to the center of the vault, when an earthly sound erupted from behind them. Louder than the screams and snarls from before, forcing both of them to turn and see what happened. There was a black pillar in the location where Cora and Compton had melded together. It reached all the way to the roof of the vault with its multiple mouths and tendrils sliding over the black reflective surfaces as if reading all the history it had eaten. And the sounds were almost mournful as it slid over the sections it had missed and still had the desire to consume. One of the tendrils then came in contact with the spotlights and other bulbs that had been strung along the vault causing all to go black within save for the single flashlight beam that Zoe frantically lit creating a single beam of white light in the abyssal chamber filled with darkness and otherworldly howls. Chapter 26 In a Big Dark Ball When the lights had gone out amidst the confusion and the chaos of the sound that the all-devourer's projection or essence was making, the unthinkable happened. Zoe had lost the location of Jason, they had both been running and fairly close to one another, 
so it did not make sense to her. She darted the flashlight beam around, trying to find him, but only met with the sound of echoing off the chamber walls and the circle it cast on the floor. Zoe tried to call out his name, but the sound was drowned out by the other noises filling the vault. In the distance, at the limits of the flashlight's range, she saw that the devourer's influence was spreading. Small black shapes, eyes, tentacles, mouths, and other less defined things were forming. Also, Zoe noticed the ghostly beings from the outside of the vault had found their way in. Alien structures and long-since-deceased echoes of life of dozens of varieties of creatures were seen faintly in the light, but not Jason. She saw the darkness. It was acting as if it were trying to consume the light from her flashlight, and she decided it was best to try and keep moving forward towards the center. The fact that she may have lost Jason had turned from desperation to anger, and anger got her legs moving. She wondered at the amount of faith she was putting in the small stone in her pocket. What if she put it in its place and nothing happened? Or something worse happened? The fact that she had no choice left in the matter did not improve her outlook. As she approached the center, the sounds made a crescendo and then fell silent. She looked down at her feet in the flashlight beam and saw that she had stepped within the inner circle that contained the shape. She turned around and shined her flashlight beam into the darkness. It was no longer simply darkness, but instead a mass of black and grey shapes pressed up against the hemisphere that had formed around the shape in the center, like a force field that the mass of mouths, tongues, eyes, and teeth could not penetrate. But they still pressed themselves up against it, like prisoners pushing themselves up the glass while seeing lovers in a penitentiary during visiting hours. The thought of Jason having been out there, and what may have happened to him in the vault with the abominations, filled her with dread and sadness. She took a deep breath and walked the remaining few feet to the sculpture. Zoe reached into her pocket and held the stone, looking for the correct place to find the location where it would fit correctly. The silence that had surrounded her was starting to break, indicating that the protection offered by the shape would not last long. She located it and walked forward to place it when, through the sounds, something familiar caught her attention. In the muriel of shapes and horrors outside, it was Patrick's face, tears in his eyes, desperately trying to say something to her, but the words were too muffled by the barrier. Zoe was afraid, but knew that face too well, and she began to approach cautiously when another voice cut through the interference. Zoe! No! It was Jason's voice. She looked around to her area and could not see him, even though the voice sounded as if it had come from right next to her. She looked back, and Patrick's face was now only a mess of spiked tentacles and mouths. She decided that she would not allow the Devourer to distract her or buy more time from her again. No matter what it threw at her, the voice of Jason still hung in her mind, but she could not spend any time with that now. She just simply hoped that it was a sign of life from him. The sound was growing when the flashlight beam finally came across the vacant spot in the small structure. Zoe felt a pull from the indent as the stone approached it. She felt one of the cold tendrils wrap around her thigh as the piece fit into place. 
Then the world turned into a grey ocean of light. Chapter 27 The Librarian The only way that Zoe could think to describe it was being within an undertow of whispers. For a moment the thought that she was being consumed crossed her mind, and a spike of fear found its way into her heart, but it passed quickly. There were too many sensations for her to process, and yet they were all subdued, as if being pushed into the background. There was something familiar about the place in which she found herself, but at the same time, she was having trouble remembering who she was. Finally, after a vague amount of time, structure started to form in her vision, also familiar. Angles, stones, surfaces were all around her and moving. It started to seep in that she was inside the sculpture, inside the vault. But she also knew that it was not a sculpture she now knew, but it was a being, a living geometric thing that she was within, that she had merged with by replacing the stone. The stone was a piece of life that she had restored, making it whole again, taking it out of stasis or death. This creature was part of the race that had created the vault. She felt her thoughts beginning to mix with the creatures, and it was painful for both of them. She knew this was the thing that had been reaching out to her, that thing that had invaded her dreams and her waking hours. The amorphous guide through her visions. The vault had been under attack from the devourers for eons, and it was close to consuming it. A few million years, perhaps, only a few seconds, on the cosmic scale of time. The closest thing that Zoe could discern as to the vocation of this creature she shared existence with at this moment was that it was a librarian or archivist that was also a sentry for the knowledge it recorded. It could barely be considered conscious for most of its unfathomable time within the vault until it detected Zoe and reached out as a part of itself to find her, arriving in a form that her mind could acclimate. Patrick. The delivery of the stone had cracked the shell of the vault, making the destruction of the vault happen almost immediately. But it had been forced to risk it, because in the billions of years that it had maintained the vault and its protections, it had never found anyone or anything from the hundreds of thousands of civilizations it had watched rise and fall that had fit the correct pattern to correctly merge with it and therefore repair it. Zoe felt the world around her flowing into her perception, a sensation she had felt moments before. Every heartbeat, every star, and every division of every atom she was absorbing at this moment. The librarian was in a constant state of effort to stay a version of sane. Then again, this form of life she found herself with, who knows what kind of mental processes it might have and what it would consider sane. It had been trying to communicate with her most of her life, but failing any common ground with language, let alone having an entirely non-human set of senses, it was not successful. The creature she had merged with was not optical, and not auditory, but somewhere in between these senses, in the written language that was everywhere, they could actually feel the words, like a combination of braille, a tape recording, and reading a book. The writing was more a vibration than a petroglyph. The pain of the melding was getting to be unbearable. She suspected due to the difference in mind chemistry and simple physical chemistry in general. A round peg was being shoved into a hole the shape of a jigsaw piece, 
with a bumpy bottom filled with water. Zoe did not know what the outcome of this would be or even should be, but she knew that at this point seeing it through was her only option. The librarian was speaking to her, showing her so much. She saw that this was not the only vault, but that there were others on other spheres, throughout existence in the universe, on other planets, where planes of existence all were united in preservation against the Great Devourer. Different versions of the vault were linked to Zoe, and most of them were in the same kind of peril as the one she found herself in, and some had been lost to the Devourer already. She felt on Earth right now there were others who were working to the same end as her. Jacob, the homeless guitarist, had almost been selected for this task, but ended up facing things elsewhere in other parallel realms. Now Jacob stood in a violet-lit forest with a sobbing old man, and a woman about Zoe's age, and a little girl, all of them talking to an animal of some sort. They were in a different aspect of the same situation that Zoe had found herself in. There was an old man poring over a book in a tower, trying to find ways to unlock answers to the riddle that the devourer presented, although he, too, was also out of the normal reach of this plane of existence. She felt the protection of the being that she'd shared beginning to wear off. The devourer outside had submerged the shape with itself and was dissolving its defenses like acid. The life she was sharing was also in pain, and she felt the structure of its being weakening. She wanted to speak to it. She wanted a conversation of some kind to occur. It was detecting her will to communicate and although sharing a common mind, there was still a great barrier between them. Two alien minds trying to find common ground. Memories was what the librarian kept pushing to Zoe. Memory after memory after memory. They were the memories of all the beings that had lived and some that were impossible for human understanding. It was a bombardment of these memories, and the onslaught was only increasing. Zoe felt drowned and overwhelmed. Panic was starting, and she wanted to scream, but had no mouth and no lungs. The emotion reached its peak, and she willed the memories out of her, and she felt a rush of release in all directions, and her sense of self returned like air rushing back into a vacuous room. There was something else as well. The librarian's presence was also diminished. She was frightened that what she may have been doing was causing more harm, but the memories continued to flow once again. This time, though, there was something else trying to pollute them. She felt the hunger of the devourer trying to find its way into the flow. No! She screamed, actually hearing herself this time, which surprised her. The same effect as before happened, more of herself returning, and less of the librarian. The devourer was pushed back as well, its force now somewhere in the background again. This time, when the memories began to envelop again, she felt something new from the librarian. It appeared that the more she pushed the memories out and away, and the more it faded, the more relieved it was becoming. Chapter 28. Offering you the position. You want to die? Said Zoe once again, hearing her own voice. Is that what you want? This ancient creature that had reached out to her simply wanted an end to itself? That did not seem right to her. She felt there was more. She could sense its will to end, but she knew it did not end there. In a time when Zoe thought that nothing could surprise her, something did. The librarian spoke to her. Enough of her probably had rubbed off on the librarian to make it possible to use spoken language. You are taking my place. 
The voice of the librarian was soft and welcoming. Zoe then realized it was speaking to her in her own voice. No, I can't. Zoe responded. She realized then what was happening to her, and the thought of it terrified her more than she could comprehend. All of this, the visions, the attacks from the Devourer, were not because she was going to help these beings, but she had been drafted into taking over the librarian's position. It had sought Zoe out and brought her here to man the lighthouse, to act as a guard and record history, all history including that which would be lost to the Devourer. The creature had been here for billions of years and was subjecting her to the same fate it had endured. The librarian did not speak again, its message complete. The memories and events from the world came flowing back into Zoe, and she noticed for the first time another effect to pushing out the crush of the universe. When she pushed back, it was imprinting on the vault. She could sense her words recording things, at first mixed in the language of the librarian and English, but now just English. Her crossover, it was almost complete. She wanted to escape, to run away and bury herself in black earth, but the devourer was all around her, and it was poised to eat the rest of the world. It was a sacrifice she had to make, even though it meant disappearing from life itself and becoming the new librarian for a virtual eternity. The swell of information became too much again, and she was forced to push the memories out again. The librarian was almost completely gone, and she could perceive again within the vault without interruption. The devourer was still desperately trying to absorb her, but was weakened severely. She suspected that about one or two more pushes, and it would be gone from the vault, and a few more would push it back to the darkness for quite some time where it would heal itself and begin eating again. She saw her own image now, at the centre of the vault where the librarian had been. It was not a statue, but not her body's flesh and blood either. It was somewhere in between. Carrot had been right. She was quite an attractive catch. The memories from the world were becoming less and less painful now. Pushing them to the vault was becoming easier and natural, She felt like a child learning to breathe after coming out of the warm fluid of the womb. She pushed again, and the last of the old librarian disappeared into comfortable nothingness. But its record was now written on the surface of the vault, and Zoe could not help but find it amusing that it was now being written in the someday ancient language of American English. Chapter 29. Loose Ends Jason was safe. Although it was close, he had not been consumed by the Devourer. It had been too distracted to go after him, and instead had focused on the main meal of Zoe and the librarian. He lay on the floor unconscious. The rupture in the vault was healing with Zoe now in control of its faculties. She used her influence and gently moved him out of the hole and out of the cavern to the campsite. Her power over the physical was limited, and that was as far as she could move him. But she knew he would be fine, and that she could always see him. Jason's life would pass Zoe's perception in the blink of an eye. But she would enjoy watching him while it lasted, even though she knew that he would have no memory of her. The vault had to be moved again, Zoe knew. She scanned the earth for a place that would not be affected by a few hundred millennia. The bottom of the Pacific Ocean looked good. 
but there was more stability in the foothills of the Himalayas right now. The vaults taking off from British Columbia would cause a stir about volcanic eruption, some doomsday talk that would subside in a few years and then begin again when the vault landed and she buried it in Asia. She would hide it on the dark side of the moon for a time, but not too long as she would not be able to absorb history from that far away from the Earth. She was not sure when she would grow too weary to keep the old devourer at bay, but her essence was strong. And it would be a while. The old librarian had been so tired, and its nearly eternal life had finally expired. It had found Zoe in the nick of time. All of the events to the rest of the world were now forgotten, and now maybe nothing but forgotten madness. Zoe felt herself synchronizing with the other vaults all over the myriads of worlds and dimensions throughout the Serpesculum. She breathed out the memories and history of the world onto the shining surfaces of her vault and stared into eternity. Chapter 13, Epilogue In British Columbia, a doctor of ancient languages and archaeology woke up in a tent in a national park. His name was Jason Roach. Walking into the campsite, he saw a beautiful girl warming herself by the fire. Hello, said Jason. Hi, said the girl. She looked a bit confused and embarrassed. I am sorry, but I don't know how I got here. It's all right, he said. I am not sure how I got here either. He walked over to the fire and sat across from her. My name is Jason. Jason Roach. Pleased to meet you, Jason, said the girl. I am... She stopped and smiled nervously. I am sorry. I don't know my name, Jason. We will figure this out, I am sure, he replied. Zoe watched what used to be her and the man she had fallen in love with sit beside the fire, and she wrote it down on the wall. And so concludes The Stone in the Stream, written by Fee Stringer. Well, listeners, turns out Zoe became a guardian of Earth. Dr. Roach is destined to fall in love with Zoe, even if it's not the original, The world devourer has existed for a long, long time, and the reality-bending mental illness that she thought she had was in fact a destiny-defining, world-perception-based superpower. Wow. Just wow. Again, a massive thank you, Fee, for sending your story on through. Next week, I'll be finishing off Sada Abe on the Friday, which will give me time to prepare, and Wednesday, I'll be doing some Let's Not Meet stories, as well as some freaky tales, so join me then. Lastly, if you want to support the show, like the awesome Solstra just did, swing on by my Patreon page by googling patreon.com forward slash sfgt, and you can donate to this show, where all money goes back into production. And if you have any spare time up your sleeve, leave an iTunes review because it lets other people know that this show exists and it's worth listening to. Now folks, I want to thank the legends that imbue this show my existing Patreon supporters. Firstly, my Ode Night Tea Titan, the ever-amazing and brilliant Maya, the queen of intergalactic feline wrath. Today I put your support straight into the RX software tools and will be saving up your support to be put into a new set of filters and tools from the RX company to enhance and clean up the audio. The RX tool itself has been so critical to this show's ability to process old radio audio, and I'm looking at other tools to help with that cleanup and enhance the process. Thank you immensely, Maya, for supporting me and the show in the way you do and at your tier. 
an absolute godly contribution, and I really appreciate that. And my latest supporter, Solstra, the world destroyer, whose latest donation puts this lovely person smack bang in the middle of Odinite, Titan, and YT Warlord. Thank you, Solstra, because today's music pack has been brought to all of us by you. I've got over 800 new sound effects, from footsteps to dragon roars to monsters to ambience to battlefield audio, you name it. So I'm learning what I actually have now, and have been playing with it, and how to best implement it. Thank you immensely, Solstra, for broadening our sound effects horizons. You're a megastar. My amazing White Tea Warlord, Leza, the bringer of muscle-bound Voidwalkers. Thank you, my Voidwalker. Mate, you are epic. With your support, Leza, I have funneled it straight into Filmora X updates and subscription costs. That's the tool that I use to upload videos online. Because of you, I'm able to actually keep up to date, have any bugs and glitches dealt with, and keep this steam machine of a podcast going. Cheers, man. And expect a howdy and how's it going email heading your way. <laughs> Thanks, Leza. And my second epic white tea warlord, Paige, the voidling of encroaching collections. Paige, you are the queen of collectors. Thank you immensely for your support, Paige. Expect an email to be heading your way this weekend, and your support has been sent straight into publications, press releases, and covering Adobe Photoshop costs this month, which is an absolute critical aspect of what I do. Every episode needs audio and graphic content created, and not to mention subscription costs to run those tools. Like all my patrons that support me, you're keeping the cogs of this machine bustling along. Thank you so much, Paige. You're marvellous. And my amazing, brilliant, and fantastic lightning and a bottle peeps, Earl Grey Enforcers, Just Heather, Juicebox Andy, Peter Revelli, Dolphin and Cow, Michelangelo Yacone, Divided by Zero, Leah Fassig, and Alia Arcane. Have a kick-butt weekend. I've managed to score myself a day off next Monday, but I won't be shirking my responsibility to upload a remastered old-time radio, but can't wait to have a nice rest on that day. I'll be working up a sweat next week for a myriad of different kinds of stories, so join me then, you brilliant people. And as always, till next, we meet.